so glad you could be at Connect this morning. Didn't we have a great worship experience so far? We went old school today. Some of you have been around a while. We brought back some of the oldie goldies. It was good. It's all good. Anyway, uh, I'm going to get right into it today. So you can take your worship guides out. That just help you navigate the service. Not only the things that are happening before and after, but also during. And just a great opportunity to take some notes. And uh, this series is... Uh, it's going to help our relationships a lot. This is called Home, and we basically uh, kind of built a premise around this series that, you know, a house is built, but a home uh, is where the heart is. And there's something deep inside every one of us that believes in the power and love of a home. We don't want just something that's built on brick and mortar and wood, hay and stubble and nail guns and glue and things like that, but we want something that's based on principles and precepts of God, uh, practical relational principles that help us grow as a family, a family of God. Amen? Proverbs chapter 24, I think it's in your worship guide, it says this in verse 3, a house is built by wisdom and becomes strong through common sense. How many know that common sense is not so common anymore? <laughs> Turn to your neighbors, say, uh-huh. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of, that's kind of what's going on. And so the last couple weeks, we We've been talking about living single, and uh, how many were here for the living single uh, messages, okay? If you were not, whether you're single or not, uh, whether you want to be single or not, um, get those CDs. They're free in, in the uh, Guest Central, or go online and watch them, or just do the, download the podcast. I'm telling you, it'll help all aspects of relationships, some stuff that we've never talked about at Connect before, and I think it's really relevant you know, in a kind of the modern love that's out there and how to deal with what we're dealing with in our culture today. But I'm going to move from single life to family life for the next couple of weeks. How many, you know, uh, are interested in what we're going to talk about today? Anybody interested in that? Okay. So how many of you come from a family? If you didn't raise your hand, we have prayer after the service uh, for that. But uh, because we all come from different backgrounds and different family types, you know, we've got blended families. Uh, that's very common today. Some of us have been a part of one, two, maybe even three families in some cases statistically. Some of us are still from a traditional two-parent home. Some of us uh, have single-parent homes. Uh, some of us have adopted children, foster children. I mean, how many know we have different types of homes in the world today? And, and as a result of that, because of these different backgrounds, those different backgrounds impact us differently as a result. And, uh, you know, you have to kind of think about this for yourself and contextualize this information for yourself. And, and maybe a question to ask is, you know, how would you describe your family? If you were to put your family in a picture, I'm going to show you some pictures in just a second. Um, I was looking at this website. It's called awkwardfamilyphotos.com. You ought to check it out. Um, but it gives, like, it showcases cringe-worthy you know, marriages and kids and family photos. In fact, there's this one couple I want you to see now. They're a little scary when you first look at them. So check this couple out right here. Um, this might make you a little bit nervous to see a couple like this because uh, they look, well, they're coming um, eventually. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> they look scared and they are scary. You know what I'm saying? Um, I don't know what happened in their marriage. Um, there's another uh, family photo where, have you ever been one of these families? You try, you got young kids, and you try to take the family picture, but you just can't get, you got to wrangle that kid. Well, they wrangle the kid, and the dad grabs the kid, and uh, this is what ends up happening. Uh, <laughs> wrangle the kid only to dangle the kid. You know what I'm saying? And then sometimes you don't do those high-end photos. You know, you just take the photo in the living room, and you just pack the whole family onto the old couch. And this is what ends up happening. This is kind of what it looks like. All right? So they're all packed in. If you notice, there's one family member that just couldn't find a spot. If you look in the bottom right there, you guys catching that? Yeah, that's kind of scary right down in there. That's, that's awesome. That's, you're like, there he is. Yeah, that's Uncle Bob. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, and then, you know when you have those kids, anybody sometimes raise kids and you swear the devil visited them in the night, you know what I mean? Or they're just like, they're like manifesting. You know, if you didn't believe in the devil, you did when you saw this kid. And this, so they decided to just give in to, what? Oh my gosh, that's awesome. I can't even believe they took a picture. Anyway, um, <laughs> we can see from these photos that there's real diversity 
in families. <laughs> in the world of family, there's a lot of differences and distinctions. But there are two predictions we, I can make, and I want to show you about every family. Write this in your notes, okay? Two predictions about your family. Number one, you didn't pick or choose your family, okay? You didn't pick them. You didn't choose them. There's an old phrase that says you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family, now, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up in school, I, you know, uh, my father's not in, the, mother's not in this service, so I can say whatever I want, uh, but uh, next service will have to be good. But, um, but I can remember there was a certain time in middle school where I was like, I want that family. Has anybody ever said that? Like, you want to be a part of that family? Like, I want that dad. You know, he's got the Corvette with, you know, and, and he's the cool dad, and, you know, and they got a pool in the backyard, and it's the hot mom, and... You know, and they have Skittles at supper time, and they get to stay up super late. And most of us have had an experience like that where we wanted to be a part of somebody else's family. And, and the reason is because there's different types of families. Uh, and sociologists actually have categorized different family types, and you might be one of these three categories, or you might be a combination or somewhere in the middle of one of these three types of families. So three kinds of homes. The first one is, in your notes, closed, closed homes or closed families. In this family type, it, it's, it's run, it's like a tight ship. I mean, there's like no nonsense. Kids are up at 6.30, you come to the breakfast table, you know, at 6.45, you better have your face washed, your clothes on, your shoes on, your backpack all packed, you know, and you're going to have to be in the car at 7.28 with your water bottle. At 7.29, mom is in reverse backing out with the minivan, except on, you know, whatever the days that she has to homeschool her younger kid, and then dad steps in for that. Dinners are at 6 p.m. sharp. You know, it's just the way we run it. Etiquette night is Monday night. Tuesday night is pasta night. Thursday night is, you know, liver and onions. And you're going to like it. It's New Testament. <laughs> you know what I mean? Enjoy it. And, and, and 7 o'clock, you know, I want you to bathe and I want you to shower. And at 7.15, I want you in your jammies. And at 7.25, you better be in bed. At 7.30, lights are out. If 7.35 rolls around and lights are not out, I am coming up with one of these. Anybody see one of these in their lifetime? Raise your hand. Is everybody getting nervous in here? <laughs> that was my home growing up. Rules and charts and schedules. I had a man plan on my door at five years old. Do you know what a man plan is? It stands for morning, afternoon, and night schedule. It was militant in my house. Over my man plan, it said Derek's daily duties. Over Janelle's, it said Janelle's general guidelines. Over my dad's, it was Ernie's endless endeavors. <laughs> Listen to this. Over my mom's, it was Randa's reasonable requests. Because she was the master delegator. That's how things rolled. In my house, it was a closed home. A second type of home is the open home, an open home. This is not as organized, but it's organized. There's some structure. Kids, you know, up around seven-ish. Dinner's between 5.30-ish and seven. There's a lot of ish in the open family. Friends can drop by, but not everybody. It's a short list. It's not a hospital, but we still let people come over. It's a little bit more open. There's a little bit more elbow room. There's a little flexibility is the best ability in an open home. And then the third type of home, some of you will resonate with, but probably not want to admit it, but it's the random home. The random home. Now, in this home, kids sleep to whatever time they want to, in whatever bed they want to, in whatever area of the house that they want to, including yours. They can watch whatever they want on television. They can have Mountain Dew for breakfast. They don't really have a schedule. They don't have a budget. Things are chaotic. Again, TV is always on. Kids are like unkempt. You know what I mean? They look like Einstein's offspring. And people just kind of walk in and out of the house like swallows in and out of a barn. And, and, and they can go to the refrigerator and get whatever they want. You don't even know who they are. And they're making sandwiches in your house. It's random. It's random. Which one of those homes describes the kind of home that you grew up in? Again, mine was closed for sure. It was very disciplined and structure. Uh, we had family dinners every single night. We had morning devotions, you know, at 6.30. If you wanted to walk with us to school, you had to wait in the landing while my dad would preach the word of God. 
from the King James standing and yelling at us in the kitchen because he wanted all the neighbors to hear that he was throwing out some thunder of the word of God. We had scripture memory. We had to dress a certain way, talk a certain way, behave a certain way. Manners were encouraged. And, 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 and yet my, my wife's home was more open. And it had discipline for sure, but it was not as disciplined as mine. It was more relaxed. Uh, there were chores, but not as regular and as consistent and, and character developing necessarily. And there, there were schedules, but not like we had schedules. And, and I'm going through this because I want you to, I want you to see yourself in these, uh, these kind of uh, lanes. And I want you to consider your spouse's upbringing if you're married or your family upbringing when you will be married because later in this message, it's gonna help you identify with some important elements in how to have a happy home. Stacy and I, again, we came from different homes. They were unique. Stacy loves it when people come over, for example. And, and I love it when people come over as well as long as the place is perfect. Did anybody see where I'm going with this? And so Stacy gains energy from people being around. Like it just recharges her and refreshes her. And, and I'm an extrovert and I like being around people, but I have to have a certain amount of time where I can kind of recharge and kind of reboot and, and refresh a little bit. And we had tension in our home over these differences. And I bet you have too. And they're hard to elaborate on completely in the amount of time we have. But the bottom line is, you didn't choose your family. Your family kind of chose you. Number two, here's another key principle, is that your family wasn't perfect. Yes, it was. No, it wasn't. Most of you know it wasn't, but this is a universal truth. We all have issues in our home, don't we? All God's children have issues. All families have issues. We've had family dynamics that surface sometimes in the day-to-day. -day. Sometimes they blow up in the holiday. You know what I mean? Like it's going, it's going, it's going, and ba-boom, Thanksgiving time, you know, or something kind of blows up. And, and, and it, because there's no perfect families. And we see this in Scripture too. Sometimes people come to, to, to church and they think, well, the church is a perfect family, and so I got to get some things worked out. Listen, that's just, if you're new here, this is the perfect church for imperfect people, okay? And if you're perfect, you shouldn't come here because you'll mess it up. <laughs> there, there are imperfect families in the Bible. Sometimes we don't realize that. But the first family, Adam and Eve, this, this marriage, it was kind of jacked up right out of the gate. You know, Eve starts taking charge, doing her own thing. You know, Adam's just kind of laying low, being quiet. Then she messes up, and then Adam's like, you know, it's her fault. She did it. <laughs> you know, it's the first passive-aggressive husband. Never showed up. It was right there early on, you know. And then they had two offspring, two brothers, and, and, and the first, you know, they set the bar on sibling rivalry right in Genesis. These two, these two brothers cannot get along. One brother, you know, threatens and then follows through and kills his brother. Have you ever, anybody have, you know, kids, a couple of kids, anybody with a couple of kids? Anybody had their kids fight and you think they're going to kill each other? Is anybody? That, that's, this is where it began. It, all, it goes all the way back to Genesis. I want to show you another picture, but, but, you know, this is what we used to do in our family. We used to just, if they weren't getting along, we forced them to hug until they got along. And, but this is an even better idea. You need to give them one of these shirts. Look at this. This is our get along shirt. Hey, I'm dropping some wisdom here, okay? Boom. Right there. One shirt, Dad. Put it just right all over it, and that's what you do. You're two going to get along. <laughs> Until you do, you're in that thing, you know? Joseph in the Bible later, he had brothers. Look at what was going on with the brothers. The brothers, like, throw their brother in a pit, and they tell their dad he got killed in a hunting accident. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that you see in the Bible all over the place. You know, have you ever grown up with an annoying brother or sister? Do you ever want to go Old Testament on them? There's <laughs> Bible for that stuff, okay? King David, he, he, his, his, he has an affair, all right, with Bathsheba. She's rub-a-dub-dub taking a bath, and he's looking in the wrong place at the wrong time. And, and later on, you know, we see, you know, uh, David has a son. 
And he and his son have a horrible tension between them. They have a battle between them. It actually incites the first civil war between father and son. And, and I just can't believe sometimes how we look sometimes at the scriptures and we say we need to get back to strong biblical family values. And then we look and we're like, what? The Bible is filled with sinful, broken people just like you and me who make mistakes. But the Bible is also filled with instruction on how God, God can redeem, how God can forgive, how he can restore, how if we follow his principles and precepts, if we allow some common sense to kind of get in our head and become more common and less uncommon, God can do some incredible things in our families. Amen? And so this message is one of two. This message is going to be like a 30,000-foot view that you got to get to understand next week. So you don't want to miss next week because... This precedes next week, but next week is going to build on this week. And so two things every family needs. Write this down. In order for your family to flourish, and by the way, these insights can give you a fresh start no matter where your family is right now. Everybody needs a fresh start, amen? Turn to your neighbor and say, you need a fresh start? Turn to your second choice. Do you need a mint for your breath, for fresh breath? <laughs> So I'm going to give you a key text here, and it's from the book of Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 21. And, and this is an excerpt from a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Colossae. He's actually uh, in prison uh, in Rome, and, and the heading over this text is instructions to Christian families. Okay, so it's going to get really concrete and basic. It says wives, so there's going to be two groups of people, uh, two uh, relational sections that he addresses, marriage and family, okay? So he says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. And fathers, do not aggravate, or in one translation it says exasperate, your children, or they will become uh, discouraged. So here we have from Paul these broadband kind of instructions to two sets of relationship, the marriage and the children, the, 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 the mom and dad relationship and the children relationship, and really their relationship with each other. And Paul highlights two key words in really that, 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 that keep us kind of balanced. And the two words that we see inside this text are love, number one, and discipline, number two. Everybody say love and discipline. Sometimes we think love just comes naturally. It's, oh, it's easy to love your kids. No, it's not sometimes. No, it's not. Sometimes we think it's easy to discipline our kids. You know what I mean? We just, hey, you know what? We just got to bring out the paddle, and it's, it's easy. It's just one, two, three, and, you know, uh, it's going to be all set. It's not that easy. There's actually a correlation. The Bible makes a direct connection between love and discipline. Now, I'm going to give you like a visual here. Not that uh, all of you necessarily appreciate this, but this, I was trying to think about a way to kind of describe this, but some of you baseball people may be able to understand this. But this kind of is the two foul lines, the foul poles in a baseball game. Now, the baseball diamond would be in here, okay, for those of you who are just want to get technical with me. Um, one side, these are the boundaries for relationship with you, with your children, your children with you. There has to be both, Paul is saying, love and discipline, okay? There's these boundaries. Now, inside, this is where there's freedom uh, to parent. This is where there's freedom in relationships, a great freedom in between these two boundaries. It's just like the song we sang today, Freedom Reigns in This Place. God of mercy and grace. In order to have grace and mercy, you have to, first of all, you have to have some boundaries. You have to have some foul poles or some foul lines in your child rearing and in your parenting and in your family development. Your parenting styles sometimes are going to be determined by your children. So some might have, uh, you know, they need great amounts of affection. They need great demonstrative love. They need security. Another side over here needs clear expectations under clarity of consequences, an understanding if you cross this line, there's going to be something that happens as a result of that. And so both sides are needed, but some need more than one than the other, depending on the child. Is everybody tracking with me so far? And so these foul lines, these twin poles are essential boundaries for love and discipline. And as parents, we need to raise our kids inside these two particular areas. And Paul highlights them kind of as like the twin engines. Um, and the really love and discipline are the essence of God's heart himself. 
See, to understand God, you, you, you can understand him better when you understand both love and discipline. Both love and discipline. Because our model parent today is not Dr. Phil. It's not Oprah. Our model family is not the Waltons. Little House on the Prairie, for those of you who remember those days. Na, 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 you know. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's God. God is the ultimate model parent because God has the balance of both love and discipline. He has those in perfect tandem. They are tethered one to the other. First John 4, 8 in your notes, it says, whoever does not know God, excuse me, whoever does not love does not know God because God, what, is love. He is love. God is love. That makes him the perfect parent. He actually conceived you in love. He actually conceived you in love. He, he is the perfect parent in every way, shape, or form. Maybe your earthly mother or your father didn't plan for you, but I can assure you God did. Scripture actually says, and there are multiple scriptures that says, he delights in you, he rejoices over you with singing. He's actually from heaven to earth radiating his love toward you. Even when you don't realize it or see it, he's still doing it because that is God's character. And if you're a good parent here in the natural and you have children in the natural, there are many times you're loving your child and they don't realize how you're loving them. But it doesn't mean you're not loving them. Amen, parents? And so for those of you who put your trust in Jesus by grace through faith, we've experienced that love firsthand. We've been spiritually adopted into the family of God forever by an act of our free will. And that's incredible news. But another aspect of relationship with God the Father is one of discipline. It's, it, you know, it says the Lord chastens those he loves. Hmm, interesting. This is the part where a lot of us like to check out. Like, you know, it's like, you know, next page, you know what I mean? I think I'm going to go to tomorrow's devotional. And that's a problem that we can have in our relationship because we're not understanding our model parent God. Hebrews 12, 6, looking notes, it says, the Lord disciplines those he loves. So endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father. In this one text, he uses the word discipline four times. Discipline is not so much about punishment, is what we typically, uh, our default definition, our, our gravitational pull, is that discipline is punishment. No, discipline actually means to, to teach and to train. It's a very different view. Thy, thy, when the Bible says, you know, talks about spare the rod, spoil a child, the rod actually of the shepherd was to pull you in from where you were, not necessarily always whack you. Interesting paradigm shift. And so we need to learn and understand that God doesn't discipline us because he enjoys inflicting pain. God disciplines us because he's trying to develop us. He's trying to develop our character. He's trying to make us strong, confident Christ followers. His discipline is actually a gift for our development. My parents were strong disciplinarians, and I believe in the earlier years, in particular, they did a good job with me. Things were more black and white, and I'll talk about this kind of next week. And, and so they did a pretty good job. That's why I'm such a good boy today. <laughs> Ding! I wish they had that sound effect. Um, but, but they used the spoon on me quite a bit. This, this, this thing was not my favorite. I had some nightmares about this thing, you know. I can remember, you know, when, when we got disciplined, uh, we, would get dis we, were, we were spanked. Now, I know it's not popular, and I'm not going to do a whole thing on spanking, so don't get nervous. But we were spanked as children. I can remember my sister and I always seemed to get in trouble together. And the problem was the spoon was in the kitchen, and then the first bedroom was Janelle's, and the last bedroom was mine. So Janelle always got her spooning first. So I don't, I'm pretty sure that I got more discipline than her because I had to listen to Janelle spooning. <laughs> it was torturous. She would run around the room, negotiate, and try to talk her way off the cliff. And I'll never do it again. Ah! Ah! She's just running all over the place. And... And it was, it was bad. But uh, over time, I had, I, I, this spoon affected me so much. If, my, if it was like pasta night and I saw the spoon come out, I'd be like, oh, oh. I, I got sick to my stomach. <laughs> the truth is, though, I was a pretty rambunctious kid. I know you're surprised by that. No shocker there. But uh, I, I, in the early years, I was a terrible liar. I was lazy. It's hard to believe because I'm borderline workaholic now. But when I lied, I would get, that was the thing they punished the worst. I would get in so much trouble. And I can remember 
because my dad worked long hours. He's in the insurance industry. He worked like 14 to 16 hour days. My mom would have to, she'd have to discipline me. <laughs> that was always awesome. Well, one time I'm about seven years old and I thought I'm going to outsmart her. She's like, go to your room. You're going to get a spooning. You're going to get a spanking, you know. And so I go to my room and I find this, I don't know, some kind of book or magazine and I shove it right in my drawers. And I had a big butt anyway, so it just didn't, it didn't matter. So she's like, bend over. I'm like, okay. And then she gave me the classic speech, you know what I mean? Totally insincere. This is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. <laughs> yeah, we'll see about that this time, Mama. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Bam! I can remember her hitting me, and then she's, and she's like, ah, ah, do it again, Mom. Go ahead. Give me some more. I, that didn't last long because my father figured out what was going on, and it was over after that. I couldn't. And then, this, then what happened from there is then I get in trouble in the morning, and she'd say, you wait till your father gets home. You're going to get spooned. You're going to get a spanking. I thought, oh, gosh, then I'd be tortured all day long, the mental anguish. You know, 16 hours. <sighs> I don't know if you guys get this. But anyway, I'm just working some stuff out here publicly. But <laughs> like I said, they come next service. It'll be completely different. <laughs> all right. <laughs> but I, I'm really not here to talk about this. Yes, I am. No, I'm not. Yes, I am. No, I'm not. <laughs> but I don't want you to get lost. <laughs> I'm really fine. I'm a totally well-adjusted kid. <laughs> it's all worked out. But I don't want to get lost in the weeds of spanking. That's not my point. Because actually, kids are all disciplined differently. Families, kids are different. I have four kids, okay? So all our kids, you know, they're, they're crazy differences. Let me just show you my crazy family. Some of you have seen this picture before, but this is my crazy family, okay? There she blows. It's going to come any second now. But my family, four kids, we had to do things differently with each one of these kids. Now, my, now my son, when he was my firstborn, uh, he wasn't the classic first child. He was, he was really good in the beginning. <laughs> like the first couple years, you know what I mean? And, um, you know, he was, he, was, he was affectionate and he was really loving and, and he was physical. And then that kind of morphed, you know, a little bit over time and he became difficult and non-compliant and a little bit stubborn and then even later deceptive. And he needed a lot of discipline, all right? And then there's Mallory, my, my firstborn girl. Uh, she was full of life, very kinetic and energetic. And she was, uh, she was uh, you know, she, she was a true leader even as a small child. She was compliant though. She was a pleaser. She was a rule keeper and she wanted everybody else to keep the rules. And if you weren't keeping the rules, she would mention that, and she would make sure everybody was getting the same, you know, kind of punishment, so to speak, and she got a little harder as she got older, but she, she needed a certain amount of discipline, a certain amount of love, it was kind of a balance, and then Madison, my middle daughter, um, she's, she was the lover, she still is, uh, she, very sensitive, though, like, very sensitive, she didn't need a lot of discipline, she didn't need a lot of the spoon, because she just, I could just go, Madison, fry, boom, <laughs> You know, daddy spoke harshly at me. <laughs> she just needed a conversation, and that baby was right back on track. I had to go in. I'm so sorry. Like, I'm apologizing for her <laughs> doing stuff wrong, you know. The Morgan, my youngest, you know, she's strong. She's a very strong personality, strong character, uh, strong, you know, mind and wit, and uh, just kind of like a vault sometimes emotionally. And, but at the same time, even though she's very spirited and sometimes stubborn and even a little defiant at times, she needs a balance between them. Sometimes we had to hit her really hard. When I say hit her really hard, don't misinterpret that. A lot of discipline, sometimes a lot of love, and it required a balance between these two children. And so when they were young, the approach was individualized, and as they've gotten older, it's actually similar as well. Like, to connect with my daughter Mallory, at a certain point, I remember going from pre-teen to, like, teen, you know, I can remember the approach changing. To kind of connect with her, I had to go to her room, you know, the door was always shut, it used to always be open. I'm thinking, I own this house, can I come in? I remember thinking, she's, my wife would say, you just got to knock on the door and ask if you come in. I'm like, I don't have to ask for anything. She's so upset with me. She goes, you want to connect with your daughter? You're going to have to knock. Okay. Mallory, can I come in? Who is it? Oh, my gosh. Are you? Who do you think it is? Santa Claus? 
go in, and then you like, you know, Stacey, give me cues, you know, like turn on some Taylor Swift music, you know what I mean, lay on the couch or the, her little beanbag chair and just kind of, you know, rubber back, oh my gosh, it was torture, but then, but then I'd start to ask questions, you know, how was your day, you know, and you know, I heard some stuff maybe happened to school today, you want to talk about it, boom, boom, she just started just unloading everything that was going on in her life. The point is, there's no one size fit all, but I can promise you it comes in between these two foul poles. You have to find the balance between the two of those. There are a zillion different ways to raise kids, but they, in order for them to flourish, there has to be a balance between love and discipline. And I realize uh, that if you're, if you're an influencer of any kind of children, this applies much broader than just the home. It applies to coaching. It applies to kids. You know, if you're teaching kids in, in church, it applies to sporting events or whatever. There's great freedom in raising kids. But if you neglect these two foul poles of love and discipline, you're going to have problems. And because you'll fail to represent God in his fullness to the next generation. The Bible describes the character of God in this way. John 1.17 says, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So another way to describe love is grace. Everybody say grace. And another way to describe discipline is truth. Very similar. These two are tethered one to the other uh, in perfect balance. They're two sides of the same coin. You don't have either or. You have both and. The sweet spot of shepherding your children, of parenting young people, is to find this balance between the two as it relates to the ones you're emphasizing or raising. But if you emphasize one at the expense of the other, then it will ultimately fail. And this is true not only in a biological family, we see this in the spiritual family as well, in the church, amen? You have to have a balance between these two in the church because if you don't, you're going to have problems. Let me introduce kind of like two values that will help you flesh this out a little bit that I like to apply here as our, at a church. The first one is, number one, grace wins. Everybody say grace wins. Grace wins in the end. You have to have grace. You have to. It, grace is just like the water, you know. It's just, you, sometimes people, marriages are struggling. You're just like, it's just overwhelming. She did this and she did that and rah, 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 and broken this and broken that and, and one promise after another and all these things are, everything's just blowing. What do you need? You need a bucket of grace. You need a bucket of grace. But the second point is, and second value is truth is relevant. Truth is relevant. At Connect, we want to see a tension between grace and truth. Like, we, wanna, we, wanna, we want people to have a place, as pastor, I want to have a place where people can belong, people can feel accepted, people can feel like they're, 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 they're loved, but at the same time as a pastor, and this is what people sometimes don't like, sometimes we have to have some tough conversations. Sometimes there's some sin in the camp. Sometimes there's some issues that we need to talk about. And that's the part that sometimes people don't want. But if you don't have them both in perfect tension with each other, then the church won't grow up right and neither will families as well. Your upbringing may have been militant and, 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 and that emphasis toward one side or the other. And, and sometimes we go that same direction. Sometimes we overcompensate and go the other direction more often than not. And we go too far the other way. And we say, oh, I'm going to be the fun dad. And anyone can come over. And they can have what they want. And they can do what they want. And at the end of the day, we, you know, we think they're happy. But, but they're not. They're not happy. These extremes, one, you know, it's like if you hit a baseball, you hit a baseball, a lot of times we pull to one side or the other. If you go to one side or the other, either extreme, you're going to have problems with your young people. There's going to be issues. Here's the, here's the th and fill in the blank, I think. If we emphasize love over discipline, we will be what's called a permissive parent. Everybody say permissive. Permissive, permissive parent. Permissive parenting is just kind of like a, anything goes. Permissive parenting. Another, if we pull to the right, we have what's called perfectionistic parenting. Perfectionism. I know you guys can't read this, but hopefully it's up on the screen. So depending on which way you pull, sometimes we have the tendency towards one or the other. Permissive parenting is, again, like an anything goes. But if we emphasize discipline over love, there are really high expectations. You know, we want our kids to be 
first team All-American, you know, first chair. We want him to be all-stars. We want him to be A's, no B's. We want him to be starting lineup. You know, there's the tendency sometimes for us to pull to one side or the other. I can remember growing up in my neighborhood, and I won't mention this particular family's name, but I remember, uh, you know, just observing this permissive environment. You know, the, the, the home was completely different from mine, major contrast, and the family was like a circus. They had two boys, and the kids would go to school in the wintertime, no jacket, no hat, you know what I mean, no socks sometimes. I'm like, I'm looking at these kids, you know, my, my mom would pull the, you know, the hat down over my head, and the mittens are on, and here's your cod liver oil before you go out the door. Then I'd run into my friend, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, look at you, you know, like V-neck. He looked like he was in a 70s rock band, you know what I mean, and just chest wide open. It was just crazy. They would play outside in the yard, no shoes. Now, I don't mean barefoot. I mean socks flopping around, you know, grass green socks, and they would get allowances just for breathing. <laughs> they ate ice cream cones at the bus stop in the morning. And, and so they grew up in a permissive home where their family, their parents, were avoiding the consequences. Maybe they were, you know, maybe they had an oops kid, you know, where they were tired and exhausted. You know, oh my gosh, I can't believe we had another kid. And that happened. Maybe it was the second marriage. I don't know what it is. But parents of these type of homes, they typically make these vain threats. If you do that one more time. You ever heard the one more time speech? Anybody ever given that before? One more time, and I'm going to take away your phone. One more time, I'm going to take away your iPad. And you keep saying one more time, one more time, and they're just like in, the, in their head just going, it ain't going to be one more time. It's going to be like 100 million times. <laughs> and eventually we just say, oh, kids will be kids. You know what I mean? Kids will be kids. Oh, well. a little. And there's no follow-through in a permissive environment because the goal with a permissive parent is a happy child. That's the goal in a permissive. We, we don't want them to actually face any dip. Failure is not allowed in a permissive parent extreme. Failure's not allowed. And so we, we don't want to, so you overslept today. Oh, you missed the school, but that's okay. Daddy will drive you. It's no big deal. How's that work in the real world one day when they have a job? That, that extreme doesn't work out so good. Oh, you don't want to play, do piano lessons anymore. You want to quit the team. You know, that's okay. Oh, you don't want to go to church t this morning because you had a, you know, soccer tournament all week and you're tired. Just say your prayers before you go to bed. Jesus still loves you. It's okay. It's going to be all right. See, we're just, we're pulling over here because we don't, we, we, we want to make sure they're happy. The end goal is that they'll be happy. In the perfectionistic parent, there are many rules. There are, are, there are all-star expectations. There's harsh punishment. And here, the emphasis is always rules over relationship. By the way, equals rebellion, ultimately. Both of these, actually, extremes will equal rebellion. And so in this goal over here, this side is happy child. This side is well-behaved. I want a nice boy. I want a good boy. I want a good girl. I want a well-behaved child. Here, children are taught to act a certain way, dress a certain way, talk a certain way. And, and, you know, we actually were, I was grew up in that kind of environment. It was like, it was the fryway or the highway where I was, you know. And so I can hear, I can remember going out, don't talk to me that way. Don't you dare... You know, we're getting ready to take pictures. Smile! <laughs> I, I, it's like imprinted on me. Like, I hate pictures to this day. My wife has had to re-educate and reformat me because we go to take pictures and I'm just like tense. I'm just like tense. You know what I mean? Why are you gritting your teeth? I don't know. I'm smiling. <laughs> I'm just so happy. <laughs> In this approach, correction without compassion. Correction without compassion. And the reality is perfectionistic parents employ harsh punishment, and, but the harsh punishment on this extreme is not the worst problem. The worst problem for the child isn't the harsh punishment. The worst problem for the child is that the parent withdraws their delight. They stop looking the child's way. They stop giving their approval. They stop showing their attaboys and their girls. I can remember one time being in the backyard doing chores. I had daily chores. We were raking the backyard. If you wanted to play with me and you wanted me to play with you early, come help me do my chores. So I became an awesome recruiter. That's why I'm an awesome pastor to this day. Because <laughs> if you want me to do something, you got to help me do it. So, so I had my friend Gans. We're raking in the backyard. So Gans, hey, can we have some tunes? And I'm thinking in my head, my dad, I was a very strict Christian home. Uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, you want to listen to some, uh, you know, uh, Keith Green and Michael W. You know, I'm thinking, how's this going to go over? No, he just want to listen to radio, you know? So we get, we get the radio. We put it in the backyard. We're listening to tunes. My dad works like 16-hour days. Well, this day he showed up. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Big red Cadillac shows up. White top comes out, three-piece suit. 
He starts marching up to see, here's that, here's that hellish music, <laughs> that devil music. I remember him grabbing that radio. I thought he was going to smash it over his knee. He said, you embarrass me, son, I will embarrass you. <laughs> and I can remember, it wasn't that I could get in trouble or I could get spanked or something. It was he withdrew his delight. I still remember that. It still hits me. That approach that if you don't perform to standard, then mom and dad won't look your way. You have to do even better next time. The goal, again, is that they'll be an all-star, but they don't end up being an all-star. And so people who, who go this route, sometimes, you know, second best isn't enough. Bs aren't good enough. Those kind of things. Oh, this, this is what I hear sometimes. Moms, we got the scholarship. We got into this program. We got into this school. Listen, when you hear the we word, you need to run. That's not good. We is not good. Then they're in serious, serious perfectionism at this particular point. They're pulling the ball way to the right. Permissive parents are trying to love their children without correction. You think you're being loving, but you're really being lax. Your child innately wants discipline. They know ultimately, not initially, but ultimately that if you don't discipline them, you don't love them. Scripture talks about this. It says if you don't discipline your child, you're actually treating them like they're illegitimate. So, on the, so perfectionistic or permissive parents, it doesn't, doesn't work. So the real goal of parenting is to reflect the heart of God. Can I have an amen? amen? So what are the two toxic, two more things and we'll end today. Two more toxic distortions of love and discipline. Here are the toxic distortions. On the love side, we have what's called license. Everybody say license. All right, I'll explain in a second. On the discipline side, and by the way, the family... Biological relates to the family of God as two, so you can apply this to church. On this side, the discipline side, we have what's called legalism. Some of you have heard that word before, and you know what I'm talking about when I say legalism. Okay, so license is when you say anything goes. Oh, God can overlook that. Oh, God can forgive that. God is a gracious God, and yes, he can forgive. But that does not, this, that does not negate the importance and the tension between uh, uh, grace and truth. We have to have that balance between those two things. Now, legalism is an overemphasis on truth without grace. Legalism is an overemphasis. Now, growing up, I can remember some interesting friends that I had. One of my friends, his name was Greg or Grego. His nickname was Lego My Ego Grego. <laughs> if you can remember, you know, that particular uh, breakfast food. And he had very permissive parents. And I can remember showing up, you know, at his house, and, and, and it was different than going to my house. If you went to his house after school, my mom would offer, like, sliced apples, carrots, and celery, and supervised television. <laughs> Let's go there. <laughs> but if you went to Lego My Ego Grego's house, parents would be like, hi, bye. You didn't even see them. You could have, you know, white bread. Woo! <laughs> Soda. Doritos, you could put them on your face like a trough. You could just... It was awesome. It was awesome. Unsupervised television. The first time I ever saw Cinemax, I mean Skinemax, was at his house. I literally was like, this is awesome. It's like Sodom and Gomorrah. Ah! I couldn't stop going back. I couldn't stop going back. There were no fixed bedtimes, no rules, no schedules, no chores. They could have girls' friends over, girlfriends at like 10 years old. I didn't see a girl until I was 15. <laughs> so the Bible calls this license, okay? Now, my friend who grew up in this particular environment, Grego, he eventually, he eventually led down a really dangerous path. Drug addictions, alcohol, child out of wedlock, issue after issue, a train wreck of issues. Because that's where license leads when you bend all the way to this way. The same is true. I had another friend who, went, who grew up in a super disciplined home, much like mine, but even more extreme. She couldn't wear pants out in public her entire a, you know, teenage life. She, oh, excuse me, let me rephrase that. She had to wear pants. Yeah, she had to wear pants no matter where she went. No jewelry, no makeup. And so she lived this double life. Like, and, and it was just like you'd see her, you know, at school, but then you'd see her someplace else where mom wasn't around. Mom was an extreme religious person. And so uh, she, she, she just lived this double life. When she went to college, she went off the rails. Just completely off the rails, you know, and just partying and hookups and shackups and all kinds of issues. And let me just tell you, train wreck after her because of the extreme 
toxic distortion of this path that led to legalism. Is everybody tracking with me there? That's what happens. And what we need is a balance between these two of grace and truth, love and discipline, in perfect tension. Now, each one of us have a bent towards one way or the other. Which way did your family bend or pull when you were growing up? You need to know that and find that balance. Which way do you naturally pull the ball in your relationship today? The goal is for you to get to be like God and find the line drive that just goes right down the middle in your relationship with those that you're trying to influence for the kingdom of God. Can I have an amen? Now, I'm going to tell you a story about a soda machine. Let me just tell you this story, and hopefully, as we wrap this thing up today. You guys get something out of this so far? Okay, so we'll build on this next week. But I can remember my dad was starting a ministry, this ministry, uh, 35 years ago. And before we started having church meetings, we were meeting Friday nights in Uxbridge. It was called the Old Uxbridge Inn. Some of you have been there. And on the landing in this particular hall, there were these old soda machines, And so us young kids, we'd have these super long meetings. These meetings were long, you know what I mean? They weren't like service here. There was was just, you know, you you taught Genesis Revelation in those meetings. And so some of the boys, we weren't allowed to have soda at the meetings because we'd get all, you know, know, all pepped up. So we would bum coins off other people because we knew our parents would not allow us to have some change. So we we get some boys to give us some change. And then we go down there and I remember slipping that coin, quarter, what I think it was like a quarter to get one of those classic Cokes, glass classic Cokes. I mean, come on, right? Put the coin in, boom, nothing came out. Oh my gosh. So my buddy puts his coin in, like hopefully this one will work. We'll split it. He puts his in, nothing. So what do boys do when they can't get a soda to come out of a soda machine? Ah! So we start shaking that thing. Nothing happens. So then my buddy's so angry. He's like, oh, my quarter's up in there, and I want a soda. So he starts sticking his hand up inside the machine. Almost gets it stuck. He's like, I can't get it. So he says, Derek, you put your arms up underneath there. They're skinny. Things have changed since then. But anyway, so I get my arms up underneath there, and I can remember, oh, my gosh, I feel something cold. He's like, really? I'm like, yeah. There's a button here. And I remember, click, I hit this button. You hear this whole movement thing going on. Boom! Classic Coke right there. We were like, oh, pull the Coke out, pop. You want some of this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We whipped through that Coke wicked fast, and my buddy goes, do it again. <laughs> I get up in there, ding! I accidentally hit the thing like 15 times. Ding, 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 ding. Austin, you hit a. Like 10 Cokes are coming out. We're pulling Cokes out of the machine. We're looking back. Does anybody see us? Oh, my gosh. There's going to be people here. Ah! We're trying to pull them all together. All of a sudden, like, the mother load comes out. Sunkissed orange, baby. Like, we're freaking out. Sunkissed orange. We start pulling these Cokes. We got, like, 10 Cokes coming out. We pull them out. We go down into the basement. We are just whacking back Cokes. This, This was really living back then, right? All of a sudden, we hear somebody coming down the stairs. Like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And it's one of, it's one of the elders, or he, he was going to be the elder. His name was Charlie. Charlie came up and he said, he said, Derek, I, I can't remember the other kid's name. He says, come over here. What, what are you two doing? I said, uh, nothing, <clears throat> nothing. Where'd you get those Cokes? Uh, we, we borrowed them. <laughs> he goes, no. You stole those Cokes. You stole those Cokes. I just gave you two quarters, and you ended up, you guys got like 12, 15 Cokes down here. He goes, come with me. What do you mean? Where are we going? All I could think about was he's going to take me to my dad, and my dad's going to, like, discipline me right out of the service. Like, I'm going to get this, you know? And that's what he could have done. He could have gone to that side of discipline for me, or he could have come downstairs, ah, you know, kids will be kids, the permissive side, and just let me go. But that's not what happened with Charlie. He found the perfect balance that day. He said, come here. He said, we got to go somewhere. I said, where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? And we're just, my heart starts to pop. He goes, we're going to go to the manager of the inn. <gasps> oh, my gosh. So me and my friend, we're freaking out. Like, he goes, yeah, and you're going to tell him what you did. Oh, I, so I can remember shaking, shaking. We're just these two little boys holding these empty glass bottles, <laughs> going to the front desk. He goes, put them up there. We're like, you know, we put them up there. And he's like, tell him what you did. And uh, the guy's like, what happened? I said, uh, 
We borrowed some Cokes. Tell him what you did. And so we end up telling him we stole these Cokes and we didn't pay for them. And the guy was like kind of relaxed about it. And you know, Charlie said, oh, no, no, no. No, it's not okay. Not okay. And then he proceeds to pull out from his own wallet the money to pay for those Cokes. How, many, how much is that? Okay, here you go. And he pays for those Cokes. And he goes, okay, come here, boys. And we're like crying now. We're like freaking out. Like, oh, my gosh, this is awful. And, and he sits down and he kind of gets down at our level. And he goes, you guys can pay me back over time. We're going to work out a little payment plan. But... Let me just tell you something. He looked me in the eyes. I'll never forget this. He says, Derek, what you do when character is what you do when no one's looking. And right then, I got the perfect balance between love and discipline. If I got all of this, that might have led to this and this, hiding my sin. Or if I got just this, it's no big deal, that might have led to license and all kinds of problems. God is the perfect parent. He knows exactly how to raise you and how to raise me. And he wants us to learn the same thing in our lives. Amen? Would you close your eyes and let me pray for you right where you are? Every head bowed, every eye closed, all over the room. The prayer team can come down front at this time. Be very still. Just be very still. You might be here today and you weren't loved in balance. You never experienced both truth and grace. And so maybe you're here today, and in order to be able to have that relationship that works between you and God, the family of God, and even your own family, you have to embrace both grace and truth. Here's the grace. Jesus looks at your life, and he sees all the messes, the past, the present, and the future, and he says, I'm willing to pay for all that. I'm willing to let you off the hook. In fact, I can't wait to do it. But here's what you need to do. You need to embrace the truth that you can't do it without me, that you missed the mark, that you failed many times, that you, in fact, did steal, you did rob, you did take, you did things that were not okay. In order for you to embrace and receive grace, you have to also embrace and receive the prickly truth that you're a sinner. If you know today that you can't do it without Jesus, you know today that you fall short of his perfection, you don't have to be perfect because he was perfect. But you want to know him. You want to be in relationship with him. You just have to say yes to God. If that's you and you want to say yes to God, I want to be in relationship with him, would you just raise your hand good and high and just say this to me right where you are? God bless you. Is there anybody else? God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anybody else good and high I don't want to miss? Thank you, Jesus. Totally awesome. If you're listening online, I just want to encourage you to respond where you are, to, to have grace, embrace the truth. And I want you to pray this prayer with me, church. Would you pray this prayer? Say, Jesus, I thank you that you came with both grace and truth. I walk away from license and legalism. I walk away from being overly permissive and preoccupied with being perfect. I thank you that I can serve and follow and accept a God who is perfect. There was none righteous, no, not one, only Jesus. And today I put my faith in him and it eclipses all the things that I've done wrong in my past and I become a new creature in Christ Jesus from this day forward. And it's going to make me a better leader, a better father, a better mother, a better parent, a better influencer in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand clap all over the room. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you.